Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how an anomaly in space is messing with our satellites and other equipment and the health benefits of white wine that you may not know about. It's also the third edition of Fruit Fly Friday. This week, you'll hear about the incredible things we've learned from studying fruit flies from Stephanie Moore, the author of the book, First in Fly. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Hanging out in Earth's orbit is no easy task. You already know satellites and structures like the International Space Station have to deal with things like space debris and cosmic rays and dust and all sorts of stuff. But have you heard of the South Atlantic anomaly? It's an area of our planet that has a big impact on the delicate electronics we send into space. I'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's back up and talk about the radiation belts that actually protect our entire planet. The Earth is surrounded by two donut-shaped masses of high-energy particles called the Van Allen belts. Those particles are leftovers of cosmic rays shooting in from outside our solar system that became trapped in the Earth's magnetic field. They exist in that belt configuration because the magnetic field follows a telltale pattern, one you know if you've ever seen iron filings sprinkled around a magnet. The high-energy particles would be dangerous on their own, but when they're trapped in the Van Allen belts they actually shield the Earth from any other dangerous particles that might elbow their way in. Thanks for protecting us, Van Allen belts. Actually, don't be too grateful just yet. The poles of Earth's magnetic field don't line up perfectly with its poles of rotation. They're actually tilted by 11 degrees. That means the Van Allen belts are tilted too. And that means that the inner donut-shaped mass of deadly high-energy particles dips dangerously low to the Earth's surface as close as 124 miles, or 200 kilometers, at some points over the South Atlantic and Brazil. That dip, which is called the South Atlantic Anomaly, is well below the path of a lot of satellites, which are forced to pass through the belt and get pummeled by protons. And we're talking pummeled. Every square centimeter is hit 3,000 times per second. That abuse can cause all sorts of problems, from data glitches to electronic damage. Engineers actually tell their satellites to power down whenever they pass through the anomaly because they hope that'll protect their data. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Anyway, the South Atlantic anomaly could be a symptom of the Earth's magnetic fields changing, and you can read more about that on our full write-up on this. But suffice it to say, if you're heading into space anytime soon, you might want to check your map to make sure you won't be passing through the South Atlantic anomaly, or you're gonna have a bad time. In our Fruit Fly Friday miniseries, we've touched on the fact that researchers have been looking at fruit flies for decades to learn lots of different things. And today, we're going to zero in on the specific things we now understand thanks to fruit fly research, plus what we're hoping to learn next. Our guest is Stephanie Moore, a lecturer on genetics at Harvard Medical School and the author of the book First in Fly, Drosophila Research and Biological Discovery. Here's what she says fruit fly research has taught us about developmental biology, diseases like cancer, and developing new treatment strategies. One of the biggest impact that fruit fly research had came out of work that really came to fore in the 1980s and 90s. And that's work understanding how an organism goes from being a fertilized egg with just one cell to being a complex multicellular animal that has a head at the head end, a tail at the tail end, everything organized in between. And so this is the field of developmental biology. So the fruit fly was really instrumental in figuring out a number of genes and genetic pathways and uh, activities that are required for development and for that 
patterning of head to tail, back to belly type organization. Um, and the, the genes that control that in a fruit fly turn out to be very similar to the genes that uh, control that in humans. So what we learned from the fly then becomes applicable more broadly. And one of the interesting things about that as a biological field is that a lot of the same things that have to go right to go from being a single cell to being multiple cells, each with a particular identity, and that then stop growing when it's time to say, oh, okay, I'm an adult, I'm going to stop growing now. Those are the same kinds of genes and activities that go wrong in a disease like cancer, where you're not listening to signals that tell you to stop growing and you're growing instead, where you're not communicating with your neighbors and listening, you know, listening sort of cell-cell communication type activities are falling apart. Um, and cell identity is, is, you know, is being um, lost. And so those kind of growth and overgrowth and proliferation like cancer, uh, it's often the same genes. So the fact that we know their normal functions development then let us understand something about them as they go wrong in cancer and ultimately have led to treatments um, that target specific cell communication pathways that go right in development and then go wrong in something like cancers. What gets you the most excited? Anything really else that you wanted to particularly mention? Well, you know, we already talked about the brain, but there's so much to say about the brain and the fly um, nervous system function. And so some of the most uh, fun studies to see, I, I've actually just come from a conference of over a thousand fly biologists getting together to talk about our research together and share techniques and ideas. And, you know, there were presentations about studying, you know, how does a fly coordinate its legs and wings to jump away from a predator and and dialing down to the individual neurons in the fly brain. So those things to me are very exciting, but I'm also very excited about the fly as a system for developing treatments. Um, so some of the ongoing research in our group, for example, is, is interested in using the fly as a system to try to develop new treatment strategies for cancer, for example. So we can make a fly that has um, a genetic change and we can control where that genetic change is happening. We can do that in, say, the gut, give the fly essentially a gut tumor, and then ask the impact on the fly as a whole and try to figure out if we can find strategies that would improve that and then ask if those strategies might be true um, in mammalian systems, ultimately in humans. Again, Stephanie Moore is a lecturer on genetics at Harvard Medical School and the author of the book, First in Fly, Drosophila Research and Biological Discovery. You can find links to the book and more in today's show notes. And next Friday, she'll be back to wrap up our series with some fun facts about what fruit flies are up to outside of laboratories. Today's episode is paid for by NHTSA. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late, to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for a train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you can feel a bit tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't. Ever. Trains are going a lot faster than you expect them to be, and they can't stop. Even if the engineer hits the brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. By that time, what used to be your car is just a crushed hunk of metal. And what used to be you? Well, better not to think about that. The point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop even if it sees you. The result is disaster. If the signals are on, the train is on its way. And you just need to remember one thing. Stop. Trains can't. If you're of legal drinking age and you're planning on heading out with friends this weekend, you might be thinking about having a glass of wine at dinner time. And you might be biased towards red wines because, as a lot of us have been told, red wine has benefits for heart health when you drink it in moderation. 
Well, today we want to reveal some research on white wine because whites have health benefits too. Again, as long as they're consumed in moderation. So when I talk about health benefits, I'm talking about the fact that moderate red wine consumption has been shown to help prevent heart attacks, increase the amount of HDL good cholesterol, and decrease your chances of blood clotting. The stuff also has anti-inflammatory properties, and flavonoids, the antioxidant found in red wine, can help protect against cancer. But white wines have some redeeming qualities too, thank you very much. In a 2015 study, researchers found that both red and white wine can provide heart and metabolism-related improvements. And according to a 2014 study, white wine can help improve cholesterol levels just as much as red wine can. But where white wine really gets an edge is in keeping your lungs healthy. Research from the University of Buffalo conducted in 2002 suggests that the nutrients in white wine can have a positive effect on lung function. And a 1999 study from the University of Barcelona showed that white wines may have a higher antioxidant capacity than red wines. Just keep in mind that whites do typically have more sugar than reds. But as long as you drink in moderation, you shouldn't feel bad if the Pinot you reach for this weekend is a Grigio, not a Noir. And I heard a pro tip from a sommelier here at a restaurant in Chicago that if you're looking for a less sweet Riesling, you should just go for a higher alcohol content. Oh, that'll I can see that. Yeah, that'll cut the sweetness out of it. And if you're just going to have one bottle, you know. Good tip. That's all for today, but you can keep learning all weekend on curiosity.com. This weekend, you'll learn about how electrostimulation can make 70-year-olds remember things like they're 20, a science experiment to help you make green wildfire like in Game of Thrones, five of the most amazing cases in neuroscience history, and more. If there's something else you're curious about, then send us your question. You can find our contact info and links to everything we do on our podcast website, curiositydaily.com. Come hang out with us again Sunday on the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Have a great weekend. And stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network. 